Welcome back to the Community Christian Church Podcast. This week we're joined by lead pastor Dave Ferguson for week one in our brand new series, Starting Over. Community is one church in four expressions, meeting online, in person, and in small groups around the globe. Learn more and plan your visit at communitychristian.org. There's something that you and I have in common. In fact, it's something that all of us have in common. And whether you're joining us from one of our locations in Chicagoland or from a community freedom location or a 3C community or anywhere in the world through community online, we all share this experience. And that experience is regret. Some of our regrets are big. Some regrets are small. But if we pause long enough to reflect, we've all got them. Now, rather than start by having you share regret with somebody near you or leave it in the chat, I just thought that might be kind of an awkward start. I thought I'll go first. So I thought I'd start with a lighthearted, funny regret story of my own, but was having a hard time bringing one to mind. So I text my wife, Sue, I need a funny regret story to start this talk. Any ideas? (laughs) She didn't seem to have any trouble thinking of one. Within seconds, she starts firing back to me a series of texts, one after another, with smiley face emojis after each, just so I'd know that she was laughing at me. So she texts me, how about the time you took me home after a date and tried to be spiritual by praying, and you held my hand and prayed, God, thank you so much for Peggy, your previous girlfriend's name, (laughs) regret that, smiley face. And then came, or how about one of the first times you came to my parents, their very nice home, and forgot to put the oil cap back on your car and leaked oil over my dad's textured concrete driveway. And then you quickly tried to clean it up by hosing off the driveway and you spread oil over the whole driveway. Regret that? Smiley face. And then came another. How about the time you went to visit a guy in the hospital after he had weight reduction surgery by having his stomach stapled? And you tried to console him by saying, wow, that took a lot of guts. Regret that? Smiley face. And I was like, okay, enough, enough, enough. Thank you so very much, Sue. There are those kind of regrets. But of course, there are also regrets we can't laugh at. I'm talking about regrets. where We've not only broken the trust, but also the hearts of the people we love most. Those regrets of playing it safe and not taking a risk that that could have changed the trajectory of our entire life. Those regrets regarding what others were allowed to say to us or even do to us before we could speak for ourselves or defend ourselves. And some of our regrets, I mean, are deeply painful. And the truth is, we all have regrets. Uh, Best-selling author Daniel Pink, in his book, The Power of Regret, tells us that regret is the second most common emotion felt among humans right behind love. I thought a lot about regrets. In fact, so much that my brother John and I wrote this book, Starting Over, Your Life Beyond Regrets. And one of the things that we discovered is that you could basically put all regrets into three categories. The first category is regrets of action. Regrets of action consist of all those things that make our stomachs kind of churn inside. And we go like, ah, 
I wish I'd never done that. And I'm talking about lies we've told, relationships we've torpedoed, dumb choices we've made, rage we've unleashed, money we've blown, or addictions we've fed. For instance, I, I know I've said things and like instantly I wish I could kind of like shove those words back in my mouth. Other times it takes me longer to realize the mistakes I've made. But I think all of us have regrets of action. The second category is regrets of inaction. Now, regrets of inaction are kind of, we're reminded of them in the Book of Common Prayer, which offers us this prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. Did you catch that? What we've done, <laughs> that's action. But what we've left undone, that's inaction. I came across an interesting experiment that students from Strayer University conducted in New York City. They, they set up a chalkboard with chalk on the sidewalk, and at the top of the board was written, write your biggest regret. <laughs> All throughout the day, people would stop and fill the chalkboard with some of their deepest regrets. Things like burning relational bridges, not speaking up, not being a good husband, not spending more time with family, staying in my comfort zone, and not saying, I love you. As, as the board filled up with a long list of regrets, they began to notice that the majority had one thing in common. Most of them included the word not. They were about chances not taken. They were about words not spoken. And they were about dreams not pursued. Researchers tell us that in the short term, people tend to regret action. But in the long term, we're more likely to regret inaction. It's what gave us that famous poem. For all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, help me out, it might have been. That's the sound of the regret of inaction. Now, many people, when they start to evaluate their own regrets and think about them, they only think in terms of two categories, these two categories, regrets of action and regrets of inaction. But we really can't stop there. Because sometimes our greatest regrets start with something hurtful that was done to us. Well, we call those regrets of reaction. Regrets like how neglected I was, uh, the betrayal I experienced, uh, the rejection I felt, an accident that I was in, an illness I got, or the abuse I received. And when bad things happen to us, of course we look back and we regret them. But sometimes these regrets of reaction are the ones that hurt the most. So there are three types of regret, action, inaction, and reaction. And understanding that, I want you to meet Jacqueline. She knows regret. Hi, my name is Jacqueline, and this is my starting over story. My mother migrated from Guatemala uh, to the United States, and I was born in Boston. Uh, when I was two, we moved to Chicago after my parents had separated. My mom was pretty much the entryway to all our family from Guatemala to migrate to, to the United States. So we never had a home where it was just a mom and dad and 
the kids. It was cousins, aunts, uncles, um, and so on, and neighbors from back home. Because of that, there was a access uh, to a lot of abuse uh, for a child, and, and physically or emotionally and sexually. I kind of found myself in, in a sexual abuse situation from about four to about 12. At the age of 12, I told my mom, you know, what had happened. I don't believe that she didn't believe me. I don't, I believe that she didn't want to believe me. And so not growing up with my father, I think that's what, what made me gravitate to certain people that were not good for me and that just set me up to have a failed relationship after a failed relationship after another failed relationship because I was always searching for that fatherly love. For me, it wasn't like, why, why did you leave my mother? It was, why didn't you protect me you know, when I was a child? The reason that all kind of came to light is because I had started a relationship with a man and that's where it all came back and I had to tell this man, and I was 12, that, that he wasn't the first one to touch me in, in the way that that was happening. And so this man um, was eight years older than me. Um, and at the time I decided to start a relationship with this man that was eight years older than me. Um, who became the father of my child. I was 16 when I got pregnant. I was 17 when I had him. Three months later, he was, after he was born, I left this man when I turned 18. Still dealing with the anger and still dealing with the self-destruction because I was still doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. But I was still very present in parenting. Go to work, uh, come home, be the single mom, put him to bed and then go out at night and then come back home before Devon woke up. And so that was kind of like my routine from like Thursday to Sunday. Growing up as a child, we knew about God and we heard about God. I kind of knew, you know, you have the, the, the notion that there is a higher being, but there is no relationship, there's no example or anyone really teaching that to me. Regret often creates something called the sorry cycle. Jacqueline got stuck in the sorry cycle. And it's a cycle where we feel sorry about what we did and sorry about what happened and sorry about what happened to us. And we go from longing for something more and then we do something we regret. And then we go back to longing to get it right and then regretting what we do again and then back to longing, and then still more regret, and around and around we go. And whether it's regret of action, inaction, or reaction, it is easy to get stuck in the sorry cycle. Psychologists have a term for getting stuck in our regrets. It's called rumination. It's when the memory of our regrets keep churning in our minds over and over and over again. One clinical psychologist explained this and said, regrets can have damaging effects on mind and body. When regret turns to rumination and self-blame, it keeps us from fully engaging in life. So what I want to do, I want to make sure you don't get stuck in your regrets. And I'll tell you, that's why I'm so excited about this brand new series we're starting today called Starting Over. 
And my sincere hope and my prayer is that we all come to see that God is big enough to redeem even our worst regrets. He can use everything in our lives for a great good and that we can all start over and live life beyond regret. Now, one of the guys who learned how to do this was a guy by the name of Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends. And I want us to look at two scenes from his life to see how Jesus helped Peter start over after a huge regret. In scene number one, Peter stands warming himself by the charcoal fire among guards and curious bystanders outside of the high priest's home. Jesus has just been arrested and dragged before the religious leaders. He's bound, tension fills the air, and everyone knows that violence is soon to follow. Just a few hours before, Peter boasted of his bravery, declaring that he'd follow Jesus to his death. But now as the smoke fills his nostrils from the charcoal fire, he's feeling nervous. He tries to blend in as he anxiously watches to see what's going to happen next. And then suddenly someone speaks directly to Peter. Aren't you, aren't you one of Jesus' followers, a woman asks? And then a second accuses him, you are one of them. And a third chimes in saying, you must be one of them. I don't even know him, Peter denies. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. And then a rooster crows. The Bible tells us at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. Around that charcoal fire, Peter instantly feels the flames of regret. He can't believe what he's just done. I mean, after everything that Jesus did for him, now he's abandoned his friend in his most desperate hour. And he's overcome with this bitterness of regret. What happens next? Jesus is condemned, Jesus is beaten, and Jesus is crucified. Can you, can you even imagine the sorrow that burned in Peter's soul as his closest friend is laid to rest in the tomb? I mean, even after the news comes that Jesus is risen, that he's alive, Peter still carries within him the weight of this failure. Many of us can't imagine what he felt like, can't we? I mean, sure, the circumstances are different and maybe not as drastic, but we do know what it's like to feel the sting of regret burning in our souls. Now, Peter could have got stuck right there in that regret, but Jesus refused to let him stay there. As we move to the second scene in Peter's story, we find him out on a lake. He's fishing with other disciples. Suddenly, one of them, John, recognizes a solitary figure on the shore. It's, it's Jesus, he shouts. And Peter, too excited to waste another minute, he just jumps in the water and swims to shore. As he approaches, a familiar smell smacks him right in the nose. It, it, it's a charcoal fire. And Jesus is there cooking breakfast over that charcoal fire. You know, smells have a way of kind of conjuring up memories, don't they? I mean, for me, like every time I smell fried chicken, it takes me right back to my grandma Robinson's kitchen in Missouri. Or like the smell of hot chocolate. It reminds me of snow days as a kid when school was canceled. Or the smell of chocolate chip cookies make me think of my Aunt Jean's house in Keokuk, Iowa. Smells conjure up memories 
and with them corresponding emotions. You know, there's only two charcoal fires mentioned in all of Scripture, and Peter's at both of them. As the smell of his betrayal fills the air, Jesus serves them breakfast. And now it's time for a conversation. The Bible tells us, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Not once, not twice, but three times, Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? And not once, not twice, but three times, Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three questions that correspond perfectly to Peter's three denials. And the number three in the Bible is often a symbol of completeness, of wholeness and healing. But there's more. Because what Jesus is doing in this moment is something to exchange what has happened and help Peter start over. I want you to take note. First, Jesus confirms their relationship. Implied in Jesus' question, do you love me? Is this priceless reassurance because I still love you? And here's the thing. When we know we are loved, we can find the courage to face our regrets. Jesus didn't chastise Peter. He didn't rehash what happened. Nor he didn't blow it off like no big deal. He didn't give Peter the cold shoulder. No. He affirms his love for Peter and gives Peter the opportunity to affirm his love back. He confirms their relationship. But Jesus does something else too. Jesus confirms his purpose. After each affirmation of love comes this charge. Well, feed my sheep. Jesus, who called himself the good shepherd, commissions Peter, join me in carrying out my mission in the world. And by giving Peter a job to do, he's saying, Peter, you still have a purpose to fulfill. You're not disqualified. I'm not done with you. I need you. I want you to lead and care for my followers. And this scene between, between Jesus and Peter is one of the most spectacular interchanges in the entire Bible. Je Jesus refuses to let Peter get stuck in that sorry cycle. He confirms their relationship and he confirms Peter's purpose. And with this, Peter can move on from his regret to start over. And here's what we have to understand today. So important. What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you. If you're stuck in something you've done, hear God saying to you, I love you no matter what. Nothing can ever change how I feel about you. If you're stuck in something you wish you'd done, hear God saying to you, it's not over. I'm not done with you. If you're stuck in something you had no control over, hear God saying to you, you are not damaged goods. I have plans and purposes for your life. You see, what Jesus did for Peter he wants to do for you. He wants to confirm your relationship and he wants to confirm your purpose. He wants the day to be the day that you start over. And just like with Peter, it was when Jacqueline met Jesus that she got unstuck 
from the regrets of the past. During that time, um, I met a man who gave me a chance, and that was the beginning of a career change, a lifestyle change. I started caring more about my job and my son and my well-being than the partying, the drugs, and the alcohol. My oldest sister, um, her name is Shenny, she goes to work one Wednesday evening and ha suffers a brain aneurysm rupture. And by Friday, she was declared brain dead. And so that was the biggest earthquake of my life. I had lost my best friend. my cheerleader. So that rocked me. And I didn't know how to deal with this but to suppress it, just to ignore it. Eight months later, I have a mental breakdown. And I decide I'm done. And so I attempt suicide January. Two days later, after I come out, my nephew Steve collapses um, at work. He needed a new kidney. And so when I learned about The Living Donor, I put my name on the list. He needed a second chance at life, and I think I needed a second chance at life, a purpose. And so I think God uses this to give me my second chance. I call my mom and I said, Mom, I gotta go to church. And so I go to church that Friday and I ask for prayer. I was very scared, I was terrified. And so I asked God into my life and I told him, I asked Jesus, if you are real, if God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is all real, then give me this. Give me him healthy, me healthy, and then we're gonna walk out of this operation on Monday together. I told him, I will be yours. I will give my life to you. I will serve you. So you make me useful. And And we walked out on Monday. After the surgery and, and seeing that he did come through for me, I said, okay, well, this is serious. <laughs> so I started learning and I just dug myself into scripture. That started a journey of healing for me. Every day is an opportunity for me to start over. Um, every day I still mess up. Every day I can probably still go back to think about those things. It's not over, mm. but, but I have a choice to start over every day, every morning. What happens so often in life is we see regret as a finish line, when in fact it's meant to be a starting line. You see, regret is actually meant to be a helpful thing a functional emotion. Regret moves us to reparative action. It gives us motivation to do things differently and to make things right. As journalist Catherine Schultz says, regret doesn't remind us that we did badly. It reminds us that we can do better. See, when you understand regret like that, we can learn to love our regrets because they can launch us towards a better future. What Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do for you today. The last thing that Jesus says to Peter around that charcoal fire is, follow me, follow me. He invites Peter on a journey to live beyond his regrets. 
And that's the journey he wants to take you and me on for the rest of the series. A journey where we will learn how to live beyond our regrets and start over. And I'll tell you, that is what I want for each and every one of you. It was Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who explained, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. If you look backwards, we all have regrets. I mean, regrets of action, inaction, and reaction. This is the moment where we can choose to love our regrets because we know that God promises to love us and to use us for his great cause. If you have a regret, big or small, and you want to start over in a moment, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand wherever you are to acknowledge your regret. And then I want to say a prayer so you can begin your journey of starting over. And maybe your regret is relational. Perhaps you wished you had loved better or been loved better. Perhaps your regret is health-related. Perhaps you wish you'd taken better care of yourself or you're struggling with why questions around physical things, what's happened to you. Maybe you're stuck in financial regret and you wish you'd been smarter about money. You wish you'd made different decisions. Or maybe your regret relates to your purpose in life. You wish you'd taken a different path. You wish you'd given your life to a bigger cause or, or taken more risks. Or maybe your regret is spiritual. You've taken steps that have led you away from God. Maybe you just wish you'd thought about God and spiritual things more. Whether your regret fits into one of those categories or some other, if today you'd like to begin a journey of starting over, I want to invite you right now, just raise your hand. And that's just a sign, a sign saying, you know what? I want to start over. Now let me pray for you. Father God, we come to you right now, carrying our past regrets. I pray you would start a work in each of us today. And may today be the starting line for a new story, a story of life beyond regrets. And Lord, I pray for every person that's with me right now who wants to start over. I pray that we would hear your spirit's voice inside of us saying, I love you. I pray we'd find courage through relationships, our relationship with you and others to start over. I pray that you'd give us a vision for how you want to redeem our regrets. Lord, I know you have plans and purposes for every person listening. Today, may we begin to discover those purposes as we take the next step on this journey with you in starting over. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take your next steps in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.